0: Good morning everybody. It's good to be with you. Uh, This morning as we celebrate uh, some new beginnings as people have come into membership, uh, we also need to say a farewell and I want to ask if uh, Pastor Jan and Mel Radley could come and join me. There they come. So while you're coming, I'll start, is that okay? So uh, Jan and Mal actually joined Hatfield in the late 1990s. I think they started you of Life about a year apart from each other. All good things started you of Life in a sense. And they served here on staff in various capacities for, uh, for a number of years, but then also at a stage felt to go and be involved with a church plant and church community uh, down in Matatial in southern KZN, this South. That's good. Um, but also, then, when that season came to end, they came back to Hatfield and have been a joy and a gift to our body here for the last 10 years uh, that they've been serving as pastors uh, in our community. And over the last number of months and a uh, while that uh, Mal has been speaking and Jan to, uh, in part of his role as well, just that they felt that it's time to step into a new chapter. And so we've been working also with Jan and Mal's leaders, particularly in the congregation. And this morning is officially their last Sunday with us as. Staff members, and we just like to pray for them that the Lord would really bless them and the family uh, as they move into the next chapter. So, uh, if we can also stretch your hands towards them. Father, thank you for, for Jan and for Mel. Thank you that they have shared their lives, their gifts, their talents, their joy, their, their humor. They've rejoiced with us, they've mourned with us, and shared deeply just of the goodness of God in their lives with us this morning. And so this morning we mark this moment and we thank you for their love and their service to us and to our community. And we pray, Father, as they continue into the next chapters of their lives, the things that they've started building, for a blessing for them there. We pray also for Jenna and for Jack and for Tom, just the whole family, Father, for your hand of favor on them, that you would keep them and bless them. Father, I pray that each step they take would be ordered of you. And that you would provide and bless them abundantly in everything that they put their hand to. Give them favor as you have given them favor here. Increase, Father, their their effectiveness and influence as they step out on their front lines for you. We pray this in Jesus' name and bless them. Amen and amen. Thank you you so much. Thank you. And so as we turn our attention now just to the Word of the Lord, as I was preparing this week and just reflecting, I don't know what your experience is often as you read the news or watch things and listen to conversations uh, in your families and in your workplaces, but it seems to me there's this increasing pressure to divide things. Sometimes we talk about identity politics, that If you don't identify in a certain way, then you are excluded. And if you don't agree with something, then you're there. And if you agree with something, you're welcome. There's so many causes where, you know, you have to choose where you stand and what you do. So many things that I feel try and divide us as we live our lives. And as we've been preaching the last number of weeks, I've just been so blessed by Pastor Louis' ministry to us as we've been speaking in our Together series where we've been talking about The kind of community that God wants to build, not only here at Hatfield, but in His church in a larger space, but obviously as it is more applicable to us. And so this morning is the last topic that we'll address, last part of our Together series. And so, you know, we've heard about being a community that belongs, where we belong to God and we belong to each other. We've learned about a community that loves authentically and deeply, and I'll probably speak a little bit about that today as well. A community that's generous and gives, a community that he really wants to grow, to become mature in the Lord, and then a community that impacts the world around us. And Pastor Louis just sharing last week with us around just that tool of hospitality and the open-heartedness that God can build to use a community. The topic that I was asked to speak on this morning is, uh, is to unite. We want to speak this morning a bit about unity, because in a world that's being increasingly divided, I think... Part of our testimony, and hopefully I'll show you that too from the Scriptures this morning, is that God wants us to be a people that are united around Him and are united around His purposes as well. Now, if I must be honest, uh, the topic of unity, uh, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on church unity? Not many. Well, maybe one. other don't have hands, I could see. It's not a topic we often talk about a lot, and to be honest, personally, it's not a topic that I've devoted a lot of my... Theological thinking, too. I think partly because, I mean, I know Jesus spoke about it and we'll look at that and I know that it's important, but it's hard and it's sometimes difficult to quantify how God does it. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes uh, unity has been reduced to, I remember, I don't know if any of you have had this experience going on youth camps or being in certain meetings and then you all end up standing in a circle. We don't do this to our young people. Well, not that I'm aware of. Okay. But make them stand in a circle, then we all have to join arms, lock elbows, and then you have to start swaying. And what song do we sing? Thank you, Luke. Bind Us Together. Anybody remember Bind Us Together? And we sing it fervently, but we don't really go beyond that. Standing in a circle singing songs isn't really unity, it's an intention of unity. And there's some great theology in the song. Uh, And so it was really, I think, sobering for me this week as I started engaging and preparing In the scriptures, just to come back to see what some of the clear things in the first century church, the things that Jesus said, some of the things that Paul said about community. And there is an element of mystery to this because there's something that God does that's beyond our natural ability to come together. And so, uh, perhaps as I've had to do this week, set aside your personal experience, your personal thoughts, maybe some of the songs you've been forced to sing and things to do in the name of unity, and let's unite and come together around the scriptures and just see what they say uh, around this topic. And so what I'm really going to do is just start, there's so much more than what I can share this morning, just start looking at some of the key scriptures around unity unity and being one, Is the language often that's used in the New Testament, and then try and just talk just briefly at the end around some of the postures that we can have in our own heart that can encourage unity and build and, and foster unity. Now, obviously, when we talk about unity, we can, you know, we can talk about the global church or the church in the nation or church in the city. Um, But this morning, I want to speak about the local church. Uh, Pastor Louis represents us in the city and probably better than ever before in the history of our city. There's a unity amongst the churches and the church leaders, at least as they start thinking and praying about the city. But this morning, I'm focusing on the local church church. And so if we can turn to the Word of God, and we're going to start in John chapter 17, where Jesus, it's actually the prayer, it's the last one of the recorded prayers that Jesus prays for us. And uh, I was so touched by this uh, in This um, up until so far in the year in our Sunday morning Bible school. Uh, Prof. Eleanor Lem has been walking us through the, the discourses in the Gospel of John, and she taught on this a few weeks ago. So it was fresh in my mind as I could turn to this. Uh, John chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 20 to 23, and it's that part of the prayer where Jesus prays specifically for us. There's a part that's gone just before this where Jesus has prayed for his disciples, the 11 that are there with him, and that that God will help them get through what they need to get through. And then it's as if in this prayer, this very intimate prayer, this this moment that John records for us as Jesus is talking to his father, uh, he His attention turns to the future generations of believers. He turns to us. And one of the things that he prays is that we will come into unity. So let's look at that. John chapter 17, verse 20, we'll start. Jesus speaking. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. Generations and centuries later, it's us who believe in this message. Jesus prays, verse 21, and he says, I pray that all of them, not some, all of them will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought into complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. And so as I mentioned in the New Testament, when there's this talk about being one, or uh, that's the the idea of unity that the writers are speaking about. And so we see here that Jesus prayed for our unity. This means to me simply that unity is important. It is important enough that it is one of the first things that Jesus prayed for us. But it also means to me that unity is necessary. Jesus wouldn't pray for it if it wasn't necessary. Now, one of the reasons unity is necessary, and and we'll look at some of it, because part of it is what God is doing, but part of it also, as we've read now in verse 21 and 23 of this passage, is that unity is how the world will know, firstly, that God sent His Son, but also that, that the world can believe in Him. So the unity of God's people, even on a local church level, our unity this morning as we sit in this room and as we listen online, is part of God's testimony to a world that is increasingly divided, a world that's increasingly trying to push people apart. God prays, God's plan is that he wants to build a people, he wants to build a community that comes together and that doesn't, is not driven apart. It's interesting in this passage and I must admit I don't fully understand this, I think it's part of the mystery. Well, I'm going to make it a mystery until I understand it, if that's okay. But Jesus compares the unity he wants us to have with one another on the horizontal level to his unity with the Father, to the unity within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, may they be together as I am in you and you are in me. Now, I don't understand how all of that, the mystery of the Trinity works, but what I do see is that Jesus uses the relationship, his relationship with the Father, the relationship with God, as the standard, as the measure of how much he wants us to be together, to be turned towards each other. It's also interesting for me, and we'll come back to this a little bit later, that as Jesus is thinking about unity, he says part of the reason that there needs to be unity is that the disciples can know that the Father loves them, the Father loves us. As much as he loves me. As much as Jesus, as the Father loves Jesus, in that perfect love that they have in the Trinity, he loves his church. And he loves us so that we can come together. This idea of love, by the way, in a number of the passages is in the same breath, it's the same, in the same conversation as unity. Now, I had opportunity to preach this message at the South Church this morning. Pastor Louis is just taking some well-deserved leave. Uh, And also because I just I really wanted to drive there and get super cold. Um, (laughs) It's a it's a couple of degrees colder there, and the the service starts a little uh, starts at about eight thirty. But as I was driving back this morning, I just I felt the Lord speak to me just to change some of the things I shared. Now I just say this uh, to help the guys on the uh, with IMAG on the songs. I'm going to start with um, if it's Undi, I hope it is, uh, with Ephesians two, and I'll come back to. To Ephesians 4. And so if we can then just go in our, in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. One of the things as we read the Bible as modern day believers is we tend to be probably a little idealistic about the early church. Now there are some things that are to be strived for, to be modeled for. You know how they came together and how they shared things and the unity of the Spirit and their fervor for Jesus and, and what God was doing as he poured out his Spirit. We read all those stories in the book of Acts and, and those accounts. But we must also realize that they were just like us. They were people who were wrestling and that God was doing a new thing in bringing people together in the church in the first century as well. That wasn't common to what was happening in the Roman Empire at that time. And so, by the way, one of the reasons we have a lot of the New Testament letters is because these churches were wrestling and they were struggling and they were sinning and they were fighting and they were developing divisions and factions and and things like that that often Paul and some of the other New Testament writers had to address and to speak to them. And so as we read this morning, let's keep in mind that we're reading about people just like us. Many of the things that they wrestle with, we wrestle with as well. And so the advice that God gives through the writers of the Scriptures to them is really helpful for us. Now, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters. Every chapter in the New Testament, I think, is my favorite chapter. But if you made me choose a top 10. This one would probably be in the top 10, Ephesians 2. Now, we don't have time this morning to unpack it, but Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and probably to all the churches in that area through this letter, and he starts explaining to them and marveling at what God is busy doing in their churches, in the Roman Empire, in, in and around Ephesus and Asia Minor at the time. And so in the verses immediately preceding this, he's talking about how God has brought the Jews and the Gentiles together uh, into one community. Now, for us to understand this, we must also realize how antagonistic the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century world were towards one another. Now, in the Bible language, and in the perspective of the Jewish people at least, Gentiles was everybody who wasn't a Jew. So you might have been Roman, you might have been Greek, Parthian, You could have been any race, you could have come from Africa, Ethiopia, anywhere, any citizen, any origin, any ethnic group, but if you weren't Jewish, you were called Gentile. And the Gentile world was a very pagan world. Remember, there's no Christian message that's gone into the world. There's no moral message by which they really live in a united way. they were very, very different, very pagan, very, today we would call them very unsaved. Is that Okay. The kind of people that you know need Jesus, you're just too scared to talk to them about Jesus. Okay. They were really um, wild. And the things that they regarded as normal and common were really not all that good and wholesome. Uh, and family values oriented if I can put it that way. And the Jewish people had some reference to that. They were actually quite hostile. They were divided. And Paul is thinking about the church in Ephesus and the church across the Roman Empire at that time. And he's marveling at what God is busy doing by bringing these very different peoples together. And so we want to pick up his thoughts on that in verse 11, sorry, verse 13. Verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 2. So, but now, in Christ Jesus, and that's a very important phrase. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, speaking about the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And by the way, almost everyone in this room, we're Gentiles. Okay? We were far from God and he brought us near. For Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus has made the two groups one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, this one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace between these antagonistic groups. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. you built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives. By his spirit. And so, as Paul is thinking about what God is doing, bringing people from everywhere together into one body, he says a couple of things, and I want to just highlight a few of them. Firstly, we see in this passage that unity starts by reconciling with God through the cross. If we want to be one people, one body, we have to come to Jesus. Jesus becomes the the person who holds us all together. But that starts by coming to Jesus in the cross. Now, there's various reasons. In the cross, Jesus pays for sin. The sin that divides people gets paid for on the cross. But what also happens when I come to the cross, I start a process in my discipleship journey where I start dying to self. I start dying to things in my life that don't please God. I start dying to things and traditions from my family that aren't godly. There's good things in my family. There's good things in my culture. There's good things in my life experience that I come. They come through the cross with me, (coughs) excuse me, because Jesus has made them good. But there's things that I think we all know if you've come to Jesus that you leave behind at the cross. And so when we come from all these different spaces and places and life experiences, different generations coming together, we all come to the cross. And at the cross I die to what I think is good and best and proper. And I start going, well, what does Jesus want? And so Unity starts by reconciling to God through the cross. I don't think unity is possible, true unity is possible outside of that starting point because unity can only be achieved in Jesus. It's in Christ that unity comes because the world is so different and we are all so different and people come from so many different life experiences and places that if we don't unite around Jesus, there's too much that will pull us apart. And so when we come, our agenda becomes simply this, what does Jesus want? What would Jesus have me do? How would Jesus have me live? And that becomes my priority, and it becomes your priority, and it becomes her priority, and it becomes his priority. And when we're all walking in that direction, God starts pulling us together and building a unity. Now, in the last few verses we read from verse 19 to 22 in this chapter, Paul uses like three very big first century metaphors as he's thinking and explaining what God is doing. He compares, he uses reference points in the culture to what God is doing. He speaks about being a citizen, he speaks about a household, and he speaks about a temple. Now, I, don't, I haven't fully studied all of this, but those three things were aspects of first century culture that were used to bring people together, they were markers of unity. They were also ways, by the way, that people identified themselves. So you may remember this, one of the stories where Paul gets arrested by a Roman centurion, I think, by a Roman uh, officer. He gets arrested, and they're about to beat him or rough him up. And then he appeals, and he says, look, I'm a Roman citizen. By Roman law, you're not allowed to do this to me. It was part of the privilege and status of being a Roman citizen. And the officer then says to him, oh, okay, i um, Yeah, I bought my citizenship. That's part of the interesting interaction that they have. And Paul goes, no, but I was born. And it's almost because in the society of that day, part of your status and your identity was given was, are you a Roman citizen or not? If you were a citizen, you had access to certain rights and privileges. If you weren't, you didn't. And so what the Roman uh, Empire would do is when they conquered an area, they would literally confer privileges on certain cities. Some cities, you were allowed to become a citizen if you were born in that city, and that was regarded as a privilege. Now, it was part of their strategy to unite people, become part of our empire, come under our laws and government, and that will bring us together. It was a strategy to build unity, to become a citizen. I think we do similar things in countries today as well. But citizenry was a form of uniting people and an identifier. It was part of how you said who you were. And in this passage, Paul takes that whole concept and he goes, but God has made you a citizen of heaven. God has made you a citizen in his kingdom. So he creates belonging, he creates identity, and he creates unity. The other metaphor he uses in this passage is the metaphor of a household. Now, often in our modern day, when we meet people for the first time and we want to get to know them, Usually one of the first questions, once we have done some of the initial pleasantries, often, not always, one of the first questions is we ask people, what do you do? Why do we ask that? Well, sometimes because we're genuinely interested and we want to know about the interests and what they're involved in what space in life. But also what's happened in our modern day cultures is that what people do is part of identifying them. You know, if someone says they're an engineer, then we know, well, you're this kind of person. You uh, you never do the same. It's just me. Okay. But this, what do you do is part of identifying, but it's also part of it shows where do you belong in society. Okay. Now, I don't think that's always so good um, because I don't think it's a good way to get to know people and identify people. But in the first century world, they probably wouldn't have asked if I just met you or you just met, strangers just met. The question would probably not have been what do you do? The question would probably have been, from which household do you come? Now, the first century household was a bit different, was a bit bigger than a family because it involved anybody who worked in the business or was connected with the family in any way. But the closest we would, and best way we can probably think of household is if we think of family. So in the first century world, if I met you, I would go, so who's your family? Now, remember, trades were locked up in families. If your father was a shipbuilder, you were probably a shipbuilder, so... If they knew your family, they'd also know what you do. But your family became not only part of what identified you, but it showed who, what you were part of, what you belonged to. And yeah, Paul, as he just thinks about what God is doing, it's almost like Paul is saying, if God can bring Jews and Gentiles together and make them citizens of heaven and bring them into one household, God's household, God's family, he can bring anybody together because they were so different. And so, by the way, when Pastor Louis greets us on a Sunday morning and he says, hello, family, it's a theological statement because we're part of the family of God. God has brought us into his household. The next metaphor Paul uses in this passage is he speaks about temple. Now, obviously, sometimes in some cities, this is probably a minority case in terms of the whole Roman Empire, but where you worshipped was also part of unity. Uh, We remember about in Acts, we read about the riot in Ephesus where the silversmiths get angry with Paul because he was saving so many people, he was disrupting the economy. Imagine that. So many people get saved in a city, it disrupts the the evil economy, the evil parts of the economy. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. Let me get back. And there's this riot in Ephesus because in their city, they worship this goddess. And Paul is messing with They worship because their worship was part of what here in this town we all worship so and so in this family we all worship this deity or this god. And in this, Paul brings and he says, No, God's not only bringing you to a temple, He's making you a temple. And in fact, even more awesome than that, he says in the last verse, there he says, We become a dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. And so the Spirit of God starts coming and builds us into a family, into a citizenry, and into people that worship together. And this is where we can then start talking about our testimony in the world. This is what starts happening in Ephesus is is, is, as they come together, they start becoming a testimony in the world. And no matter what what modern day metaphors or things we use to unify people, whether it's being a citizen or being part of a team at work, however it's defined on your front line, what What's used to bring you together, in God's family, he's making us one with his family. Pastor Louis often says it this way, in God's household, there's a table. And at that table, there's room for everyone. And if new people join, it doesn't mean other people leave the table. It just means the table gets bigger because there's place for everyone. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to create one new people on the earth that come together together that can show the world what he's like, show the world the unity he has, and that unity is really possible when we unite around Christ. We're going to go now to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to go quite quickly just through a couple of things in Ephesians 4. We'll allude to 1 Corinthians 12, but Pastor William stole my thunder there and read it this morning already. Um, It's a great scripture, and it's true and appropriate for, for what he did. When we start thinking about unity, it's the same community that Paul's writing to in the same letter and he starts talking to them about this coming together that he wants them to do. And one of the things he says is that the basis for a Christian community's unity is, that, is the Trinity. That thing that Jesus prayed, I and you and you and me, the relationship with God, the fact that we serve the one true God is where we can start saying because we serve one true God that is in perfect relationship within himself, we can also strive and work towards unity. So Ephesians chapter four, verse one to six. Paul writes, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We'll come back to these two verses later. Make every effort. Everyone say effort. Just wanna make sure you're awake. Effort, it takes work. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now we read in Ephesians 2, Jesus is our peace. So as we unite around Jesus, make effort. It takes work to keep the unity of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because, verse 4, there is one body. There is not different bodies, there is one body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One faith, one baptism, One God and Father of it all, who is over all and through all and in all. God is bigger. God is beyond and God is better. And because he is one and he's doing one thing, that's where we unite. That's where we come together. You don't have to turn there. You can stay in Ephesians 4. I just want to quickly read Romans 12 again that Pastor William alluded to, read earlier, 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one, one body, has many parts All its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink, so that the body is not made of one part, but of many. It's an important phrase that I've just read in 1 Corinthians 12. It says we're baptized by one spirit into the body. What's Paul talking about there? When you and I get born again, when we become followers of Christ, we give our hearts to Jesus. When we start following Him, not only does the Holy Spirit do a work of transformation in us, we become new creations, is how Paul writes about it in another place. We get born again, we become new on the inside. The Holy Spirit does something else. He takes you and me and He puts us into the body of Christ. Before that, we were not in, we were out. We were not insiders, we were outsiders. Let's be honest about that. But when I get born again, the Holy Spirit takes me and he baptizes me. He makes me part of the body of Christ. Now that's a bit of a mystery, how God does that and what he does. But he takes me and he makes me with you, with fellow believers through the centuries. And in this room, he makes us one body. So what we must realize is when God talks about one body, it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, that God does by bringing us together. We're all given, Paul says, the same spirit to drink. Okay, so you and I have the same Holy Spirit. I don't have a special kind of Holy Spirit because I have a microphone. We have the same spirit because we're baptized by the same spirit into the one body. And that's a unifier. And so when I meet a fellow brother or sister in Christ, what holds us together is we have the same spirit. If you've lived a while, I've had this experience where sometimes I have more in common with my brothers and sisters in Christ than some of the people I grew up with around me because God has made us into one body. In Corinthians, Paul also says it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were slave or free, it doesn't matter who you were in the past, where you come from nationality, ethnicity, doesn't matter slave or free or economic status. In Galatians, he said, it doesn't even matter if you're a male or a female. When God takes you, he brings you into one body. Doesn't matter where you come from, where you've been, what you've done, who you were or weren't. God takes you by his spirit and he makes you a son and a daughter of God. He makes you part of his family. He makes you a child of God. And then this becomes your primary identifier. I'm an English-speaking South African. Who happens to be white but that is not my primary identifier my primary identifier is that I'm a son of God and there's things in my past that I must leave behind and there's things that I can take with me but there's things I leave behind because I come through the cross and I come as a new kneel into the family of God and I learn what it means to be like Jesus with other people who are on their journeys learning to be like Jesus and becoming who he wants me to be so firstly I'm a believer in Jesus. Firstly, I'm a Christian. Then I'm a South African. Then I'm a man. Then I'm a husband. Then I'm a father. But firstly, I'm a follower of Christ. This unity, just to, so, to be clear and so that it is also said, the unity that God calls us for is not uniformity. God is not asking us all to become mini-me's or the same kind of person. He's not asking. In fact, he wants us to be different. The body has many parts though it is one and so when you bring your individual identity your gifts your talents all under the lordship of jesus directed by the holy spirit there's this beautiful thing that god does where the sum of the parts becomes some the whole becomes greater than the sum of the the parts in this space so god is not creating clones he's creating a diversity within the unity so we're not calling for some homogenous new group of people it's people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue who will stand before the throne of God and be united in their worship of him, and marvel at what he has done. I want to say the following uh, unity, guys, I'm not going to read the scripture of this just for time, but unity requires maturity in ephesians 4:11 where Paul writes and he talks about the gifts that God has given the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He says their purpose, and Pastor Louis spoke about this in his message on to grow. The purpose was to bring the church to maturity. And when the church comes to maturity, they can come, it says in those scriptures, to a unity of faith. Now, I think unity of faith and unity of the Spirit, Paul's meaning the same thing. The unity of faith is that we believe the same thing about Jesus. Not that all our doctrine is perfect and aligns up and agrees, But that we believe the same things about Jesus. But unity requires maturity. Unity requires effort that we read about. Because each person must do their own part. But unity also requires love. Because it says when we build up the body of Christ, we build it up in love. So what happens when we have this community of believers? And where things start dividing. And perhaps we find challenges in uniting. And I want to come back to the first two verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2. Because Paul's writing to this church where God is busy bringing Jews and Gentiles together. And he tells them how to conduct themselves so that they can support serving the one God. Verse 3 and 4, he goes on and he speaks about the one God, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism that we read earlier. But how do we get there? Verse 1 and 2, Ephesians 4. As a prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, not a little humble, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. To live a life worthy of the calling we've received does mean I avoid sin and I conform to holiness and things like that. It's definitely included in the idea. But it also means that when I live within the body and I interact with my brothers and sisters, I want to live worthy of Jesus. I want to live worthy of the sacrifice that he has made on the cross. It means when I'm on my front line and I'm in my workplace or in my extended family and there's disunity, because in your family there's never disunity. It's in your extended family. Where there's disunity or there's disunity in your workplace or in the ministry or wherever you are, That you live a life worthy of Jesus. What would Jesus do in that situation to bring people together and not drive them apart? But then we also need, I want to call them specific postures in our hearts if we want to make every effort to work towards unity. If we want to do our part in building up the body of Christ, there's some postures of the heart and they're mentioned in verse 2. Choose humility. When I have a humble heart and I'm encountering someone who's different or other than me, I learn from them, I appreciate them, I value them, and I listen to them. Because my way isn't the best way. How I've learned to do things is not necessarily the God-ordained way to do things. Humility means I'm always being prepared to learn and to listen. And so when we engage in the body of Christ, let's have a posture of humility even with other believers who believe and think differently or want to express and experience their faith a little bit differently from us. Let's be a community that is humble. Let's be a community that in our hearts has a posture of being gentle with one another, recognizing that we all wrestle and we all battle with sin and we all have victories, but let's be gentle, particularly if we happen on occasion to disagree. And then be patient. Not you, it's for other people. Be patient with those brothers and sisters who are different from you or who always come and have the same request. I think sometimes God puts people, they're not sitting anywhere near you today, but God puts people in the body who are different from us so that we can be confronted with ourselves. We can be confronted with, well, why am I reacting in this way? Why am I learning this way? Why do I even think this way? And that God builds patience quality of Christ into our lives. And then we bear with one another in love. Because some people just need bearing. <laughs> and I'm not going to illustrate that any further. But we bear with one another in love. And so this is where I want to land this morning. This idea of love. As much as the Father has loved Jesus, he loves us. We build the body up in love. We bear with one another in love. Worship team, you guys can come up so long. We have these postures in our heart because we love one another. We have the fathers, we are loved by the father and therefore we can love others. John 13, Jesus speaks and he says the world will know that we are his disciples by our love. Because it's love as we love each other authentically, as we love each other honestly, as we love each other deeply, God starts uniting us together. And when we unite, we become the testimony of God. We become a community that reflects God on the earth. And so there's some keys to unity. We need to be in Christ. There's no other basis which can hold us. You may be, watch this, who supports Kaiser Chiefs? Okay, Pirates? Okay. And you're sitting close to each other, be careful. Cheetahs won the Curry Cup yesterday. Any Cheetah supporters here today? It's okay. You know, we know it's Blue Bulls territory, but today the Cheetahs won. Okay, there was only one person at the South Church. There's no one here. Okay. Sometimes in life we use different things to build unity. Allegiance to a sports club or a certain creed or doctrine or a people group or a philosophy or perhaps a vision. And all those things are good. They do bring people together. Being citizens of a country brings people together. Being part of a team or a family brings people together. And they are important. But the only adequate base for unity is to be in Christ. Because when I'm in Christ, what he wants and what he says is more important than anything else that may come into this place. The other basis for unity is love. And so as we consider and we live in this world that is increasingly divided around identities and creeds and colors and cultures and ideologies, God is building a community that is going to unite. God is building a community that's going to love, and then the prayer that Jesus prayed can be answered. The prayer that says, "Let their love show that they are my disciples. Let their unity. Let may they be one, so that the world may believe in me." And every Sunday morning we gather in particularly this room, and it's a miracle. This, people of different backgrounds, persuasions, uh, not religions, uh, creeds, (laughs) cultures. Well, well, a few from other religions. Okay, you're welcome. Join ours, it's better. Um, God brings people from across, from everywhere, from different backgrounds. And we unite in worship. It's a miracle. We unite in love. We hug each other. Every Sunday, I see people from different ages colors and creeds, hugging each other. I'm not a big hugger, but it's awesome. Okay. God brings us together, united by His Spirit, baptized by one Spirit into one body. And we're living in this miracle, and this is a testimony in our nation. It's not a perfect testimony. We don't get everything 100% right all the time. Sometimes we don't see things that we should see, but God is doing a miracle. And that miracle is a testimony in the earth. So this is our challenge as a Hatfield family that the unity of our community can be a testimony in the city around us as well. So why don't you stand and we're gonna sing a worship song together about the Holy Spirit coming and working in us and making his love more real in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, and continue to move among us. That good work which you've started in us would you complete? But Father, this morning we thank you that your love is alive in us. You have loved us first. And as we love you back, we can love others as well. And so may your love become more evident in our lives. For our members watching online, for those of us in the room, we revel in your love. We rest in your love. Can make us more fully alive and come make us one just as jesus prayed father may we be one just as you are one we pray this in jesus name we'll t- continue to worship shortly but if you would like prayer if you don't know jesus if you're not part of his body you've never been baptized by the spirit into the body of jesus won't you come and we'd love to pray with you if you have Any other prayer requests, the team and the pastors will be here to pray for you. Please remember the community group sign-ups. There's a table over there, probably some tables in the foyer, where you can just meet with our pastors and leaders. And if you're new to Hatfield and you want to know a little bit more about us, please join us in the Connect Lounge, which is just on the left in the foyer, as you go out. And then in this week, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may His face shine upon you in abundance. In Jesus' name. Amen.